Hello and welcome back to the Davo Say So podcast. Here we talk about the latest sports topics and events. I am your host, Davo, of course, and we are back for a new episode. I do want to apologize for missing out on last week. There was a lot of things going on that I want to talk about. Didn't really happen. School started last week for me, so I had to get a couple things done. We are back. And then that matters. And we are back with some banging new NFL college news. But first, a couple things that we won't actually touch on today. Number one would be Kelly Stafford, a.k.a. Matthew Stafford's wife, saying some things on her podcast about Matthew Stafford not, excuse me, being able to connect with the young guys. Listen, we are not going to give any attention to this because that is what Kelly Stafford wants. She says the most ridiculous things on her podcast for attention. I, I remember either it was last year or a couple months ago, she told a story about how she dated Matthew Stafford's backup quarterback at Georgia just to mess with him. And listen, we all know how much of a Georgia fan I am. I love Matthew Stafford, a Georgia legend, of course. And if I find out that the reason why we didn't win the national championship that year was because Matthew Stafford, who was our best player, one of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in the nation at the time, was dealing with a psychological battle because his ex was dating the backup and he couldn't focus and lock in, I will be very heated. So we're not even going to discuss that. In general, I really don't think that Athletes or professional athletes' wives should really be doing things like this. Listen, you have to look at somebody like Savannah James. She doesn't want a platform for herself. She's not coming out here saying ridiculous things. She just is a wife, is a mom, and does her thing to support the family. I don't want to give relationship advice because it's not what we're here for. Uh, moving on, we will not cover the JT situation today. I know that technically he has a deadline on whether he'll be traded today or not. We won't be covering that. We will cover that soon, but just not today. What we will be covering, though, as we move on, is the Dallas Cowboys. It is that time of year. Yes, we will be talking about the Cowboys. Uh, Whether y'all say it's annoying or whatnot, they are America's team. And so anything they do will be talked about. But however... Cowboys shocked the entire league Saturday evening after trading for 49ers backup QB Trey Lance. Lance, who is still considered a raw prospect, has already been deemed a bust from many in the public eye, considering the 49ers traded up for him just to very well trade him a couple years later after having trouble getting on the field. Is this a smart move for Dallas, and what does that mean for Dak Prescott? Now, touching on the first thing first, is it is this a smart move for the Cowboys I believe so as far as saying he's a bust I won't go as far as to say his career is a bust but I do think he was a bust for the 49ers now although I do think he was a bust for the 49ers I don't think it would impact them that well that much as it would for a lot of teams number one because They have still one of the best rosters, if not the best roster in the NFL. Number two, Brock Purdy showed his awesomeness 
this last season. I know everybody's like, oh, well, can he duplicate that? I believe he will. Because although, yes, you will have teams who are going to study film on him, who are going to learn how to defend him better, Brock Purdy is going to get better as well. And so when you think about what the 49ers offense has, when you have Brandon Ayuk, who many consider a number one already, when you have Debo Samuel, when you have George Kittle, you have the greatest left tackle in Trent Williams, you have one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the NFL right now, in Christian McCaffrey. You are set up for success. And I think Brock Purdy can expand. Listen, he's undefeated. Whatever you want to say about him or not, he's undefeated in every game that he has played on the field and every game that he has stepped off the field a healthy body. So I do think Brock Purdy will elevate the 49ers again this past season. However, as far as the Trey Lance, 49ers, they traded up in the draft to get him. They understood that he was a raw prospect, meaning he hadn't had a lot of time on the field. His whole high school, I don't know about high school, but his college and NFL career up to this point, he's only thrown just over 400 passes, which is more than what Dak threw just last season. So he hasn't played a lot of football. And on top of that, he's coming from a Division II school. So you knew that this would take time to develop. And honestly, I don't really disagree with the 49ers decision. Listen, ultimately, he was said to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers after they basically didn't let Jimmy Garoppolo back in the door. And so he plays two games. One, he didn't play well in, yes, but the weather conditions were horrible. It was rain everywhere. It was muddy on the field. I mean, the Bears were doing belly flops at the end of the game on the football field. So I don't really count that game as a fair observation of whether we know Trey Lance is going to be good or not. And then obviously the next game he breaks his leg. So the jury is really still out on Trey Lance if he's actually good or not. But unfortunately, injuries are a part of the game. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, he gets hurt, and then Brock Purdy comes in, he plays well, and he pretty much wins the locker room, and the 49ers never really looked back. So I don't really blame the 49ers for the decision made. I do think that it's kind of alarming and nerve-wracking that he didn't, he couldn't beat out Sam Darnold, right? I think if you're the Cowboys, you have to be a little alarmed by that. Like, hmm, we didn't understand Brock Purdy, but you couldn't even get the number two spot over Sam Darnold. That's a little concerning. But other than that, this is good business for the Cowboys. And one of the reasons why this is good business for the Cowboys is because we all know that it's looking like the Dak era in and Dallas is coming to the era. It's coming to the end, excuse me. And it, it kind of ties into the second part of this question on whether, what does this mean for Dak? Listen, even if you talk about the injuries, right? Dak Prescott had a thumb injury, missed four or five games. Yes, Cooper Rush came in and played well. And y'all tried to hype him up like he was the truth. However, Cooper Rush is not talented enough to really take the team over the top the way a Trey Lance is projected to be. And so, when you think of a guy like Trey Lance, whose value in the NFL right now is very low, still has a lot more room to grow, and his, his projection is a lot higher 
and his or his ceiling I add is a lot higher than what Dak's ceiling is, right? Excuse me. And so you were able to get him for a mid-round pick. I think I think he still has a lot of good potential. I think he can still very well be a great. Well, I wouldn't say great. He he could be a decent quarterback in the NFL. He has athleticism. You know, the arm talent is not completely there, but I think he has more arm talent than Dak. Although that's not really saying much. He's more athletic than Dak. He has more arm talent than Dak. But Dak is more. He's he's more poised. Dak is more. He's more polished. And so when you think of that, but that's just because Trey Lance hasn't played that well, right? So I think for future purposes, you got a quarterback who you, you can develop and who you know can take over the ship when is needed and when Dak is gone. Now, when will Dak be gone? Well, technically he has two years left on his deal. The same as Trey Lance. However, I could see a Jordan Love deal where we pick up your option or we sign you to a one-year, one $10 million, one-year, $9 million deal as kind of a prover deal. Like, show us that you can be the guy moving forward, which is what Jordan Love got. I think Jordan, I believe Jordan Love was one-year, $10 million, if I can't remember, which is a, which technically he's making less than some of the running backs in the NFL, right? Josh Jacobs just got 11 million. Saquon just got 12. So he's making less than some of the running backs because he doesn't prove a deal. He sat the bench for Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years. Now it's this time to really prove. I think we can see Trey Lance in that situation maybe a year or two from now. However, for the people saying that this is no threat to Dak, it's definitely a threat to Dak. Listen, as I stated, Dak is two years, he has two years left on his deal. Next year, he is scheduled to make $60 million. I don't think the Cowboys are trying to pay him that money, if you ask me. And honestly, if you look at his contract, Dak really fleeced on how great of a deal he got. Because not only was he able to get the money he wanted, but Dak was able to get a deal where he has a no tag provision, which means that he's untaggable. So when his contract ends, his contract ends. And when he wants a new deal, he's able to ask for any amount of money he wants. He can ask for more than what Jalen Hurts has gotten, more than what Justin Herbert has gotten, more than what Joe Burrow is projected to get. So he could really break the bank. Dallas is sitting here like, listen, we gave you this money and still the best we've seen you has been when you were a rookie. The reason why we haven't gotten to where we so desperately wanted are looking to get to is because of you, because you have not been able to come up in the big moments. You've not been able to make the throws in big time games. You've not been able to show up. Last year, you got outplayed by the last pick of the draft, who was a rookie with only seven to eight games under his belt. That is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. So the Cowboys, and if you're talking about Jerry Jones, I was looking at it like, look, we are not looking to be indebted to this man any more longer. 
especially if it means we have to pay him more money. And so we need a successor, which is what Trey Lance is ultimately going to be. So what this move tells me is Dak is almost out of here. And if Dak doesn't perform well, because all of this goes away if Dak, if all this goes away, if Dak could bring the Cowboys a Super Bowl. And I know a lot of people say, well, the expectation shouldn't be Super Bowl or bust because the Cowboys haven't even been to the NFC Championship game in 30 years. And a lot of people say, well, if they get to the championship game, the years is success. I don't really believe so. I think, yes, it will still be a success to a degree, but the Cowboys have one of the best rosters in the NFL as well. If you're a top three team in the conference, you're expected to win the Super Bowl. You have a good enough roster to win the Super Bowl. Look at the AFC. Who are the three best teams we're saying? Mahomes and the Chiefs, Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Are you trying to tell me that the Buffalo Bills aren't being looked upon as championship or bust kind of team? So it's not so much to me as the aura of Dallas or the history of Dallas that it's always been Super Bowl or bust because of who Dallas is. I'm more so looking at the roster. You have a top two defensive player on your team. You have a top six, top seven cornerback. One of the best offensive lines in the game. One of the best wide receivers in the game. You have arguably the best defense already. You have arguably the best defense. Your roster is built out to win a championship. That's what makes a championship or bust. And so if Dak can't deliver that, and he can't move past the divisional round, get to the NFC Championship, get to the Super Bowl. Then what do we pay you 30 million a year for? Why are we scheduled to pay you 60 million the next year? Just so you can stink up the joint again? We need to move on. Listen, at this point, we know who Dak is. There's no improvement from here. There's no new ceiling. This is who Dak is. Dak is a guy who is solid in every category, but he's not elite at anything that can take your team over the top. And you can just see around the Cowboys, like Jerry Jones talking about how, oh, you know, we would have took Jalen Hurts. If he would have fell down to us, we would have took Hurts. What does that do to your quarterback? What does that say about your quarterback? And now you already bring in a quarterback like, yo, he's a successor. On top of that, you bring in a guy who's technically Dak's successor and you don't even let him know. Don't even let the coach know. What does that say about the quarterback? Says that he's out, he's almost out of here. He's almost out of here. And this is make or break for Dak because the Cowboys might be willing to eat up the $36 million dead cap if Dak doesn't show up. And that's a lot of money to eat up. But we saw Philly do it with Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts. And if you ask me, it worked out 
very well. I can't remember how much the dead cat was or the, the, um, the cap hit was for cutting Wentz, but he was making a lot of money. But they were willing to cut that for Hurts. And so I would imagine the Cowboys being willing to do the same thing. Because now that you have Trey Lance, you're not going to re-sign Dak after his contract is over. On top of all the other shenanigans and stuff that's already indicated that, you got Trayvon Diggs going at Dak at practice. Now you got the GM talking about, oh, we would have drafted so-and-so over. And, and like, all this is telling me that Dak is, it's, it's a make or break year for Dak. And honestly, this is probably the most important year of his career because he can go out and ball out in the regular season. Win the MVP. He could go and win the MVP. But if he doesn't have the postseason success, it's not going to matter. And he knows that. He's been the quarterback here for a long amount of time. So he knows that. Cowboys fans are breathing down his neck. It's clear that Jerry Jones is breathing down his neck. Like, yo, you either put up or shut up. You either put up or shut up. You got two years left on your deal. Trey Lance got two years left. We can bring Cherry Lance in here for cheaper. You're going to want to break the bank. And if you don't have something to show for us or give us a reason to break the bank for you, we'll just sign Trey Lance for 9 to 10 million for one year and see what he could do with the same guys. On top of that, we have to pay CD. We have to pay Micah Parsons. Like, we still got to keep this Super Bowl roster to make and stretch out this window that we have as long as we possibly can. And so it's put up or shut up for Dak Prescott. And it seems like a lot of people are against Dak. Now, I know for a lot of friends of mine that are close to me, and even my father would say, they try to make me the advocate for Dak Prescott. Listen, I will say this right now. Dak Prescott is not elite. And I don't think he can get the job done. I don't think he's a quarterback that you can give a franchise to and he can lead you to the promised land and deliver you a Super Bowl. He's top 10, yes, but he's around 9 or 10. He's barely top 10. And the 12 and the 17 interceptions in 12 games was bad, even though all those were on him. But still, he only played 12 games. Yes, all that was bad. But one of the things that I will always stand with Dak on and that I will always defend Dak for is because, yes, Dak is mid, and he's not the guy. I will admit that, but neither was Tony Romo. And when it was time for Tony Romo to get paid, it was like, oh, give him the money, no problem. When at the when Tony Romo has the exact number of wins in the playoff playoffs that Dak has, and it took him longer to get those wins, and. He stunk it up in the postseason way worse than with Dak has. How many times when it came to the end of the season and where they would either, the Cowboys would either play the Giants or the Redskins to win the NFC East. And Tony Romo would stink up the joint with the playoff hopes on the line. I remember the year in 2012. When he played rookie RG3 with a chance to, to win the crown of the division. And he had four interceptions. 
He couldn't wait to turn the ball over again. Then you think about the mishandled snap against Seattle. All these moments, Tony Romo has stuck up the joint way more than Dak has. But when it was time for Tony Romo to get paid, they gave him all the money in the world with no problems. But when it's Dak's turn to get paid, it's like, eh, we don't know. <laughs> like, bro, in my opinion, Dak is better than Tony Romo. And I don't care about, oh, well, Tony Romo had better arm talent. I don't care about that. Y'all tried to say that Tony Romo was top five. He was a top five quarterback in the same league where Peyton Manning with the Broncos, Tom Brady with the Patriots, Aaron Rodgers in his prime, Drew Brees in his prime, Ben Roethlisberger. We can go on and on about the quarterbacks back then. Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford. All these guys are better than Tony Romo. But y'all tried to say he was top five based off of what? Just because he threw a cute deep ball? Now, I will admit, he had arm talent. And he had the ability to make some great, amazing plays. Not only with his arm, but with his feet as well. But he got the same issues Dak has. And that is... He can't get it done in the postseason and when it matters most. Now, the reason why I say that Dak is better is because, number one, Dak isn't as reckless as Tony Romo was. And I know a lot of people get caught up in the 12, the 17 interceptions in 12 games, which I mean is fair because that is bad. But I don't want to act. Let's not act like. Dak Prescott is a turnover machine. Dak has Dak in his class has thrown the less interceptions. He's thrown the least amount of interceptions since he's been in the NFL. That was really an anomaly for Dak. He's not really that. He's not really a turnover type of guy. Tony Romo is a turnover machine, especially when it matters most. And his picks were reckless. And so, to me, Dak Prescott takes care of the ball more. Now, Tony Romo ain't have a better arm, but what does that really matter if he's turning the ball over more? And honestly, I don't know what it is with Cowboys fans and why they love Tony Romo so much. I was talking to a Cowboys fan the other day. Somebody told me that he should be a Hall of Famer. That's ridiculous. Maybe as a, a play-by-play announcer, now he's no football player. That will be my only defense that I would come for Dak in my life is that he was better than Tony Romo and Tony Romo stunk up the joint religiously every year. It was the same thing every year for his whole tenure at Dallas. When it came to the biggest moments, when you needed him most, he would disappear. So that was, I know that was a huge detour, but I just wanted to address that for all of the people I've been debating with that the last couple of years or whatnot. But it is put up or shut up time for Dak. And I, if, if he doesn't get the job done this year, I don't really see a scenario where he's either back the next year or he gets a new contract. I know they came out with the report and said, oh, 
uh, this trade doesn't, I don't know who the report was from, but them saying that, oh, this trade is not going to have any impact on Dak's contract extension. I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that at all. Especially whoever, whoever mouth is coming out of, whether it's Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, whoever it is, I don't buy that at all. You don't make a trade for a guy who's, like, Trey Lance is not going to be a backup forever. At some point, he's going to actually have to get out there and play. And it's interesting because all the teams that I saw that, you know, were interested in Trey Lance, the Bills, the Ravens, Detroit, maybe you can argue for Detroit, but you got two teams who are really good with their guys already, their franchise guys. So it's clear that everybody looks at Trey Lance as a backup or as a successor for somebody. And so if you're Dak... You have to really lock in this season. You have to treat this year like a contract year, even though technically it's not. But your replacement is now sitting across the across the locker room from you. And so a lot of people have high hopes for the Cowboys. I think they'll be good. I think they'll still hover around 11 to 12 wins this season. I do think Philly will be better. And I do think the 49ers will be better. And the 49ers have always, whether you talk about the last couple of years, whether you talk about, you know, the last 30 years, history tells us that the 49ers are the kryptonite to the Dallas Cowboys. And so, since the 49ers haven't really lost anything, Philly has lost a couple of pieces on the defensive end. But they've also ganged on offense. Jalen Hurts is obviously still there. And if you're the Cowboys, you have to really hone in on this season and really have to get better. But I feel like the only thing holding the Cowboys are really taking the next leap is the quarterback position. If they if they can't get that under control, then we'll be having the same topic next year and the year after that. So we'll see about that. Moving on. The college football playoffs, or not playoffs, excuse me. College football starts this Saturday. Um, watched a couple games this past Saturday. You know, CJ, I'm CJ. I'm all over the place this today. Sorry, Caleb Williams played San Jose State. He looks phenomenal as usual. I believe he will win the Heisman this year, which will be the first back-to-back. In modern times since I don't know when but the AP polls and the AP rankings have dropped so the AP college football rankings dropped last week with Georgia topping the list of course with college football on the way this Saturday what teams are under the most pressure and what surprise teams do you see sneaking into the top four for the playoffs now Top five teams are Georgia, of course, two-time national champions who will three-peat this season. Argue with your mama. Uh, Michigan Wolverines, Ohio State, number three. Alabama, number four. LSU, number five. USC, six. Penn State, seven. Florida State, eight. Clemson, nine. And the Washington Huskies, ten. What teams are under most pressure? Obviously, Georgia is number one on that list when you talk about them being back-to-back champions and being on the cusp of being on the cusp of history 
there is an amount of pressure of are you here to stay or are you just another cute little are you a moment or are you really for real and i don't think a lot of people are really talking about that especially with nick saban being ahead of that and him being a a branch from the nick saban tree of so many coaches he's obviously the most successful from that tree and so a lot of people obviously are going to compare it to I think that he's the best college coach and he has the best program right now but with the third ring and the three-peat I say we have to really look at Kirby Smart and say does he enter the GOAT debate as a coach in college football because he had he would have done something that no other coach has done or at least hadn't done in a while. Well actually I don't think nobody has ever three-peated in college football history. So I feel like he would have to be in that debate as far as that. But a lot of people look at the team and say, yo, it's an easy schedule. You're in the SEC, you've been the top dog the last two years. There's really no reason why you shouldn't win it. So I think it's pressure but I don't think it's the make or break pressure for a lot of other teams that we're about to talk about. I think it's more pressure of let's see if your program is just is the program here to stay. Are we looking at another 12 or 10 year dominance from Kirby Smart like we saw from Nick Saban? Or is this a little moment? Is this a little, you know, like Florida? Florida won those two championships and people thought that they were going to go on the run and it didn't happen. And so is it going to be that or are we looking at the next Alabama type run? So that's the pressure I think Georgia has. It's just not the same. The other team I think has a lot of pressure is Michigan State. I mean, not Michigan State, Michigan. With the Harbaugh and those guys there. Listen, I've read a lot of stuff about them having a quote, quote unquote, Georgia Day at their practice was hones in on basically beating Georgia. Listen, Michigan, you gotta get to the national championship first before you even talk about Georgia. You gotta get to the title game before you actually can talk about Georgia. All this stuff about y'all having this whole practice of, oh yeah, Georgia Day, we're we're focusing in on Georgia. No, 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 bro. Number one, y'all are not built to even beat Georgia because y'all don't have a quarterback who can really just do magical things and beat Georgia's defense and their secondary over the top. Now, J.J. McCarthy, I think he's, he's pretty good and he can run a little bit, but he lacks in what Bryce Young has and what C.J. Stroud has, which is the ability to not only get rid of the ball quickly, but to beat Georgia over the top with the arm strength. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy doesn't really have that. Now, he has the intangibles as far as moving in the pocket and, you know, running, which is good. But with Georgia, they're going to get to the quarterback regardless. And in my opinion, Georgia's weak point in the last two seasons in their defense has been their secondary. 
their front seven has always been elite, the best in the country, and that's what makes them who they are. But their secondary has always lacked and has always been the weak point of their defense, at least these last couple of seasons. So I think for any team who is looking to beat Georgia, who's looking to compete with Georgia, has to have a quarterback that can stretch the defense like that. And I don't think Michigan has that. Um, their run game even, they have, a, they have a good run game, but nobody can run on Georgia. Nobody has proven that they can run on Georgia. And if Alabama with, you know, who all the guys they had, Jameer Gibson, uh, Robinson, if they couldn't run on Georgia, then I don't think that any of the guys on Michigan can really do a number on them. So I wouldn't say them. But Michigan is under pressure because you are coming into the season the second best team in the nation with expectations of getting to the national championship game now after the last two seasons of beating Ohio State and getting to the playoffs. But before you can talk about Georgia, you got to get to the title game first. And that should be the main thing for Michigan. Listen, it's a saying that's always popular. Keep the main thing the main thing. All right? That was two years ago when Georgia beat y'all. Georgia's not even thinking about y'all. I could see Ohio State or maybe even TCU, which I don't think they're going to be any good this year. But listen, your attention shouldn't be too focused on Georgia because you won't even see them unless you get to the title game, in my opinion. Because I think Michigan, I do believe Michigan will hold on to the two spot for the rest of the year. I don't think Georgia and Michigan are going to lose games this year. So, y'all need to keep your focus on that. But Michigan is definitely under a lot of pressure. Another team that's under a lot of pressure, in my opinion, is the Crimson Tide. The Crimson Tide. And honestly, I don't even think they should be in the top four. Because number one, who's their quarterback? We don't know. And you know it's bad when after spring camp or after the spring game, they go out and recruit a transfer from Notre Dame. So it is clear they don't know who's playing quarterback. And then Nick Saban came out, uh, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, and said, oh, we're, we're not dropping the depth chart for the quarterbacks because it's a distraction. So basically what you're telling me is we have six, six to five days until the season starts and you don't know who your quick QB one is. And so in the past, this wouldn't have mean it was this wouldn't have meant much in the past because Alabama has always been able to be dominant despite quarterback play. You know, so it wouldn't have mattered. But you look at the last couple of seasons. You've had Tua come through the door. Jalen Hurts. You have Bryce Young. And then obviously Mac Jones. I don't think Mac Jones is as good as them. But, I mean, he was a first-round pick. And so the last couple of seasons where you've been dominant, you've been spoiled with this great quarterback play. Well, now... Since we're so used to that, and what you were always known for, which is wide receivers, haven't really produced the last two years as far as great wide receiver play. Well, at least last year, when they had John Mechie and Jamison Williamson, they were pretty good. But last year, they didn't have anybody. 
They didn't have anybody. I mean, they was putting they was putting Jamari Gibbs at wide receiver because they didn't have anybody. And it doesn't look like they're gonna have that this year. So now you don't have that because that ultimately is what propels you not having a great quarterback. It's great wide receivers. And Alabama, to me, to me, Alabama is wide receiver. You, they've always they uh, produce great wide receivers. I mean, I don't have to go down the list. We all know the guys in the league and the guys who are dominant who have gone to Alabama. But you don't have that this year. And now it's looking like you don't even have a quarterback. And so, in my opinion, and I know I'm gonna sound like a hater because I'm a Georgia fan and I love hating on Alabama. Trust me. But I rock with Nick Saban. But it's looking like it's coming to an end. It's 12 years, six national titles. It was a great run. But when you go program for program, and when you talk about being a top dog in the SEC, I think it's over. I think Georgia has it. I think Georgia has it. And I'm looking at Alabama, and it's like, uh, you barely escaped Texas last year with Bryce Young. You couldn't be Tennessee and you couldn't be LSU. Like this is things that don't normally happen for Alabama. And back in the old days for Bama, they got the Georgia treatment that Georgia has now, which is an easy schedule. Everything is light. You know, we don't really play any really high competition games until really the Iron Bowl or whoever we play in a national championship. But that's not the case this year. The second game is the second game of the season is against Texas. Then you have Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU. Tennessee and LSU back to back, by the way. And so the schedule is not going to be as light. And with the new college football, you know, playoffs, you lose two games, you're out of there. And that's what Alabama learned last season when they were crying about not getting in. Oh, well, man, we will. All that crying. I saw LSU. I mean, not LSU. I saw Nick Saban go on the Joe Clatt show still talking about, oh, we should have been in the playoffs. Listen, Nick Saban, I know you're not listening to this right now, but I'm going to speak specifically to you. You lost. To Tennessee, they gave up, you gave up 52 points to Tennessee and lost. You lost to LSU at LSU in an overtime game. Georgia blew both of those teams out and it wasn't even close. After they played, after Georgia played Tennessee, the, the crowd was chatting overrated for Tennessee. And that's after they have ranked them ahead of Georgia. And the only reason why I bring that up is because if you were to slot into the fourth spot, you would have had to play Georgia. The committee is thinking, why would we let Alabama? Why are we? Why would we let Alabama play Georgia in the playoffs when the two teams that LSU? I mean, that, I don't know why I keep saying LSU. That Alabama has lost to Georgia has handled fairly easy so what do you think they're gonna do to Alabama that's what happened and so I don't think that Alabama is going to be as dominant as they have always been this season 
but I also think the run is over. Moving on, number five to LSU. LSU. Uh, don't really have too much of a take on this. I, I just don't understand where the hype is coming from for LSU. I mean, I know they have Sam Perkins, or not Sam Perkins, Perkins, whoever, and he's pretty much the best defensive player in the nation, at least up to here, in, in my opinion. But I mean, come on, bro. Outside of that, what do they really have? I mean, Jalen, Jaden McDaniels is cool, but I wouldn't say he's over the top talent. I just don't see the LSU hype like, oh yeah, number five. Like, USC to me is better just based off them having the best player in the country. <laughs> and I know their defense is, you know, not the best. Although I know it's, we can't take it for a lot when they're playing San Jose State. But they've added some athletes on that defensive side. And then the freshman kick returner or the freshman wide receiver, he's looking very nice. And so they've added some athletes on that defensive side that can potentially make them better. I mean, listen, it, it, their situation is kind of, it, it's going to get better because it can't get worse than how it was last year. Like, they couldn't get stops at all last year. So to me, I think LSU is better just based off them having Caleb Williams. I don't really see it in LSU like that. I mean, they they, they started off the year 0-2 with them two stinkers. And then they, yeah, they played better down the stretch. And then they got handled by Georgia's in the NCC Championship game. Like, I don't really understand the hype coming from LSU. But again, I might just sound like a hater because I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan. But I'm pretty objective when it comes to here. I don't really, I don't really see it. So we'll see with that. But the one team I want to hold on is Texas. Because I think Texas being ranked 11 is criminal and i know everybody's gonna come in because it seemed like everybody hates texas and oh here we go again with all this texas hype just for them to do nothing i'm telling you that is not the case this year that is not the case this year you're coming in with coin yours who is low-key a dark horse Heisman candidate. You're coming in with by far the best wide receiver core in the nation. I know Ohio State has kind of gotten that title the last couple of years. I think Texas can surpass them as far as wide receiving core. Obviously, you lose Bijan, who's a huge piece, but still got guys there, have a good offensive line. The defensive front is already SEC built. I think this year is tailor-made for Texas to really come on the scene and say, look, we did what we did in the Big 12, but we're ready for the SEC. And I do think when week, tw when week two comes around and we come to Texas versus Alabama on September 9th at Alabama I think Texas comes out there with a win and not only come out there with a win I think it's fairly easy 
because I just don't see it with Bama number one and Texas is coming with everything. And on top of that, Texas almost beat them. If Quinn Ewers plays the whole game, they beat Alabama. And I don't even feel like that's a debate. I think Alabama fans know that. They barely escaped with the, the hair of the chin 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 with Bryce Young playing the whole game and Quinn Ewers not. So I think Quinn Ewers will improve. I think we'll see more consistent play from him because pretty much after he got hurt and then after the Alabama game, he was pretty up and down the rest of the season. But I think Texas will come out here and show that they're ready for the big, ready for the SEC uh, play. I think they will win the Big 12. I, I don't know how many, I won't predict their record, but I mean, they'll have bad moments just like all the rest of the teams will have that are not named Michigan and Georgia. But I think they will finish the season top 10, if not top six. And they're my dark horse, going back to the original question, they're my dark horse team who I think can sneak in. Because I do think that, I think USC will get in. I think the top four will be Georgia, Michigan, USC, Texas. That's who I think that that's who I think the top four will be going in to the postseason. And they're my dark horse pick. And I know a lot of people again are gonna say, oh, high over too high on Texas. Listen, the time has come. It has been too long since Texas has been legitimate. I look at what they have now. They're bringing in a coach who's coming from a winning culture. We saw what happened with Georgia when Kirby Smart came in. Now I know that Steve Sharkeesian has been at a couple places and it hasn't really worked out right. But at the end of the day, he's coming from a winning culture with a great recruiting class and he's bringing in guys like A.D. Mitchell from Georgia who come from winning cultures. Their defensive line is SEC built. They have one of the best, if not the best, wide receiving core with Quinn Ewers being the, the, the master of all the puppets, if you will, in that offense. And I think they can do big things. I think they'll beat Alabama. I think they'll win the Big 12. And I think they'll come into the SEC with uh, with just confidence and coming in on a great note. And I think they will get into the postseason. I think they're better than LSU. I really think they're better than LSU. They're better than Florida State to me. And they're better than Clemson. I don't know why they have, I don't know why we have Texas as number 11 but i guess it's the i guess it's the committee basically saying hey you gotta show us you gotta show us because we've hyped y'all up for too long and y'all disappointed us even more so you have to show us but i think texas will this year and i do believe that this is the year that texas finally finally takes the next jump and become who they've always been you know projected to become that's going to do it for today. It's the Day of Say So podcast. I will catch y'all again sometime this week.